Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. said if this is your first time we are so glad that you're here uh, i am uh, really really excited about this new series foundations it is going to be a good one uh, as holly said we're going to be journeying through the book of acts together and um the book of acts is a really really interesting book and uh, i hope that in fact i want to encourage you over the next nine ten weeks or so because we're going to be going through the first nine or ten chapters i want to encourage you to read along so just one chapter a week some of them are longer than others but every single week, just read a chapter of Acts, track along with this series. I think it's going to be really important. And uh, really, I think this series is going to help us understand partly why it is we are here in this room as a church. What is the church? Why does it exist? Where did it come from? What is its purpose? All of those questions uh, begin to unfold. And we see, um, one minute, Siri's shouting at me. There you go. Take no notice. Um, yeah, we'll see as this series begins to unfold, we'll see just how God began to establish things and the foundations that things are built on that we are part of today and where that began. So I'm really, really excited. So if this is your first time, um, you may have just found your new church and I'm excited for you. Um, or you might just be visiting and it's good to have you. But it is really, really exciting to have you all in the room today. So Book of Acts, we're going to jump straight in. There's going to be some context, some information that we're going to journey through so it might be a little bit of information but I think we want to be people of depth we don't just want to stay surface level so we're going to track through this so the book of Acts is a book in the New Testament and it is written by a guy called Luke now Luke is obviously one of the gospel writers and uh, the book of Acts is often called second Luke as in it's nicknamed as the second volume of Luke and uh, people often refer to this book as the Acts of the Apostles um, but maybe another name for this book would also be the acts of the Spirit of God as he built his church. It's all about beginnings. It's all about foundations. It's all about um, the, the, the beginnings of the church. So we're going to jump into this. And uh, you kind of see as this book unfolds, you just watch how the Spirit of God begins to develop things. And things that seem insignificant in the beginning, we'll see as the weeks go on just how significant they are. So, I wonder in your life, have you ever been trained by someone or been in a situation where it might have been at work or it might have been you've been volunteering for something or you've had to work alongside someone and they've been training you, showing you the ropes, teaching you uh, the way it is to do something or a specific technique and you've worked alongside them and you've kind of enjoyed that feeling because you know that the responsibility is not fully on you. you you're kind of with this person you can get some stuff wrong, things go wrong, it's kind of just part of the process. And then there's this moment that comes whenever you're being trained by someone where like uh, th this, this point in time arrives where the responsibility slides onto you and it's kind of over to you. It's like your turn. I remember when I was, I had just left college, I decided I wanted to take a year out and uh, serve the church for a year. And alongside that, I got offered this job actually with Andy Rhodes, who um, was here, you, you know Andy Rhodes, and he was building this house, 
and are renovating this house. And they said, oh, we just need someone to carry bricks around and do random jobs and whatever. So I was like, yeah, sweet. I needed a little job on the side. So I remember throughout various different days that I was there, Andy would teach me various different things. So I was learning how to like mix stuff for bricks. I was learning how to mix concrete. Very, I can't remember any of it now, but I was learning all these different techniques about things. I can remember one specific day we were outside and he'd hired in like a, a concrete mixer and he'd got all of, all of the materials and he stood with me and showed me how to make concrete. He's like, you put this bag in here, then you scoop two ratios of sand in here and then you put some water in it and it mixes and you kind of had to keep an eye on it. And as it went along, you would just check the consistency, you would add some more in it. And it was all fine because I was doing it with him. And uh, obviously, the, I'd been a little bit privy to the journey of how much the house had cost and how much you know we wanted to spend on materials and all that stuff. So it was kind of like, don't mess up. But it was all good because I was doing it with him. And then as it, it, that, that point came, he's like, okay, I need to go do some other things. It's over to you. And I remember in that moment being like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, look, two scoops of this, one bag of this, a little bit of water, and keep an eye on it. And I was just there, and it felt like that, that moment where the responsibility was on me. I didn't want to mess up. I was like, okay, this is, this is now on me. Every mistake I make costs someone some money, and it wasn't me. So it was like I wanted to get this right. But have you ever been in that spot where you've just felt that moment arrive where the responsibility slides into your hands? You've been trained. You've been working alongside someone. And all of a sudden, you hear those words, it's over to you. See, the book of Acts if I could sum up the book of Acts in a phrase, it would be that phrase. It's over to you. As we see uh, the, the, the gospel narratives in the first four books of the New Testament unfold, we see the, the, the work of Jesus. We see all his miracles, all his teaching, him establishing the kingdom of God. And then this moment comes in the book of Acts where Jesus' work has been done. And he kind of slides this responsibility and it's not completely on us or completely on the people in the book of Acts because it comes with God's promises to, and, and his power and his provision. But it's this kind of sliding of the responsibility. It's like, it's your time. It's your turn. And I can relate to that feeling. And actually, the, the, the writer Luke and the people in the book of Acts would have been able to relate to this feeling. It's over to you. So the first chapter, we are going to go through one chapter per week. Now, if you've ever heard other preachers go through the book of Acts, typically people do Acts 1 and 2 together because they're called like the formation chapters. They're the ones that are like, bless you, they're the ones who are, uh, they're like establishing things and you see the beginnings. But I felt it was really significant. We're going to go through every single chapter because then you can't just pick and choose the easy bits or the good bits. We're going to go through bits and say, God, what is it, what is it you want to teach us through every line of this passage. Now, we're not going to go line by line, but I encourage you at home, in your own quiet time, read this chapter. And hopefully the context and the foundation that we build today will give you some real insight into what God is wanting to say to us through this passage. So, Acts chapter 1. This chapter can be split up into three key parts. So, the, the writer Luke is doing three key things in this passage. The first thing, he's connecting the two books together. So the gospel account of Luke and the book of Acts, both written by Luke, he's connecting them together. So at the beginning of this passage, we hear him talk about in my former book, and Jesus did this, and he kind of builds this bridge between the two. The second thing he does, he kind of sets up the structure or the purpose of the book of Acts. 
So he begins to outline what this book is going to be about. So we begin to see as chapter one unfolds, he's foreshadowing what this book is going to be about. He's saying, this is the heart of this book. It's like the introduction. This is how this book works. And then the third thing Luke does in this passage is he moves Jesus off the physical scene and he kickstarts what's known as a historical period as the apostolic era or the foundational era. This is where we hear those words, it's over to you. So he moves Jesus off the physical scene and he kind of like brings the church into the forefront. So it's going to be a good book. So if you want a I guess an easy way to remember Acts chapter 1 is this, is we have the, the transition or we have the, the, the unfolding at the beginning, the context. And then we have the ascension of Jesus. And then finally we have the preparations because the end of Acts 1, we see the disciples begin to put some things in place because in Acts chapter 2, like the real stuff, the real work begins. So this is like when you're building a house. This is like the foundations. This is the, the unseen stuff. So the disciples are starting to clear some stuff up. They're doing some admin. So we see the context. We see the ascension of Jesus. And then we see some preparations that God's going to do some work. So to better understand this chapter, I think we need to zoom out a little bit. We need to go a little bit meta. Just all right. I know it's a lot of information, but it is important. It's going to give us a really good landscape for this book as we walk through it. So we zoom out on the whole story, the whole story of God, the whole overarching narrative of the Bible, we see God creates humanity. Back in Genesis, God creates humanity and there is perfect balance, perfect order. Humanity living in perfect relationship with God is the optimal conditions for creative to be in relationship with creator. But then humanity steps out of relationship with God because it says, I want to do it my way. So there's this like, there's there's a, a severance in the relationship between God and humanity. And humanity are on their own. And this is the thing is, so God loved humanity so much that he wanted to find a way to bring himself and his creation back together. So this is all fueled by love. He wanted to bring his creation back to him. So instead of just headlocking humanity back into submission, God loves us so much that he gives us choice. He allows us to choose life or death. He allows us to come to him or walk away from him. Okay, he wants us to choose him. So what he did is he decided that he wanted to work with humanity. He wanted to prepare humanity for relationship with him. So he finds people that were willing to work with him, willing to follow him. And the whole Old Testament is the story of what we know as the children of God, the Israelites, the people that said, yeah, God, we want to follow you. So God made what the word is the covenant, the promise. He established this relationship. I'm going to establish this special relationship with these people. And he gave them the law. Now, so many people, when it comes to the law in the Old Testament, they say, how can a God of love put such a harsh law in place? And how could a God of love even have a hell or send people there? How could that work? You think about it in this country. If there was no consequence for wrongdoing, there is no incentive for right. It kind of waters down the right stuff if there is no consequence for the wrong stuff. So actually, God is a God of love, but he is a God of justice as well. So when we say God is love, we have to also understand that God is also just, and he is also holy. Now we can't go down the Christian Buddhism route again and say God is only love, which means he gets to be whatever I want him to be. 
Now, the Bible is God's self-definition of himself. This is God saying, this is who I am. And he says that he loved us so much that there had to be some punishment for this severance in relationship. There had to be someone had to cross that severance. But God didn't want to punish his creation. So what did he do? He sent himself. And we have to understand this. The cross is not just this cute picture of, of love and him coming to save us and rescue us. This is someone had to pay for the, for the fact that he, the creator and creation was separated. Someone had to bring that together. And he didn't want that to be us. So he sent himself to pull together. To pull together us and God. While we were still sinners, God became sin. And he punished himself on our behalf so that we could be restored. So, Jesus paid for sin. This is what we call the second covenant. So this is the first covenant. The first promise was God with his people. And then he sends himself and he says, this is the next stage of my master plan to reunite creator and created. So Jesus comes and there's this new promise. And it's anyone who follows me and believes in me, me being Jesus, will have eternal life. So as in, now the way to honor God and the way to follow God wasn't by following the law from the Old Testament. It was the new promise, which wasn't thrown away. It was, what does the Bible say, fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So Jesus then becomes the only way for humanity to be restored to God. So as Christians, or maybe you're here trying to figure out what this is all about. The reason we are Christians, the reason we are followers of Jesus is because Jesus is the only way back into a restored relationship with God. No amount of good works, no amount of good personality, no amount of charm or money or success could ever restore you with your creator. Only the person of Jesus. So then Jesus finishes his work. You get in this picture, this whole journey, Jesus finishes the work. He finishes he, he rises from the, the grave, and then he finds himself in this moment, in Acts 1, where he's going to start this new stage, this new era of his master plan to pull humanity back to himself. So the work is finished on the cross. Sin is beaten when he rose from the grave. And then now there's this redemption plan. And we live in this era of redemption. So sin is paid for. So if you come to Jesus, you can be free. But then there's this little in-between. As we call it, we live in between the now and the not yet. Because what we know is Jesus is coming back. There is hope for the future. But in, in between, in this little gap, we live in this space where there is this redemption plan unfolding. And this is where the church comes in. So this is where these words come in. It's over to you. This overarching plan for God to pull people back together. And the book of Acts is this new era. And we still live in that era 2,000 years later today. So this is important. This isn't just theory. This isn't just a, uh, like an ideology or isn't even just hypothetical. We exist in this move of God still today. That means there is a purpose for your life. There is a purpose for this church. It means that God wants to use us no matter who you are. He wants to use you in the circles you are in. That is encouraging to me. So, 
for the last 2,000 years, this order, this mechanism of the church was God's, you know, as part of God's plan or God's tool to redeem humanity, to bring humanity back into himself. So think about it. It's just a massive rescue story fueled by God's heart and by his love. From the very beginning of time to this very moment right now has been one huge overarching rescue plan for God to recapture the heart of humanity who could be strayed. Fueled by his love, fueled by his character. But what for? What is the purpose? What, why? Why the church? Why now? Why the book of Acts? Where do we find ourselves? Like I said, today is going to be a foundation for the, the rest of this series, but we need to understand, why did God choose the church? What, what is the church? Why did it exist? Why did he not just choose to do it in a different way? Why did he do it like this? So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read from 6 through to 11. And uh, we're going to pick up, when I talk about the three areas, we're going to pick up in the, the middle area, the ascension of Jesus. So if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I'm going to read it. So it says, um, in verse 6, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In verse 7, he says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will be back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So this is this moment where uh, Luke was saying that basically Jesus had been going around. He had shown people that he was alive. And I was reading the other day, this is really interesting. When it comes to like the validity of the Christian faith, so many people say this. I can believe that Jesus was a historically verifiable person because there is as much evidence for Jesus than there is for you. Like it is, that is a fact. That is a historical fact. And it's interesting. I, read, I was reading a scholar the other day and they said this. Usually when it comes to history or a scientific experiment, if new information came into play, you have two options. You either ignore the information or you change your paradigm to include the information. And interestingly enough, over history, so many scholars and studies have been done when it comes to the eyewitnesses account of the resurrected Jesus, the physical body, a man who was dead verifiably in the Roman government raised to life again, so many people have ignored the eyewitnesses' account instead of changing the paradigm and saying, what could this mean? What could this mean? And you ask yourself this question, well, I, I could believe he's a real person, but I don't know about the whole raising from the dead thing. Jesus, they say he appeared to around 500 people after he raised. And then Christianity outlasted the Roman government. It is still spreading like wildfire throughout the world today. And you're here to tell me that that was built on a group of 500 people holding to a lie because they didn't want to lose face. I don't know, but I feel like the Spirit of God cannot be stopped. 
and actually this historically verifiable account. The book of Acts has been torn apart by secular scholars, people who do not believe that the Bible is the word of God and can find no fault in the historical account of the book of Acts. So we have an option today. We either ignore what this book wants to offer us or I maybe submit to you this morning we can change our paradigm and we can encounter something that God wants to say to us. Because the same spirit of God that set the early church on fire is here right now and he wants to set us on fire. All we have to do is let him come. This is why we're going to talk about the book of Acts. Because this is the beginning of why we are sat in this room today. So I want to zoom in on a, a second, uh, on, on verse 8 here. It says this, this is what Jesus said. So the disciples were basically, they, if you read the Bible, you literally look at the disciples and time and time again, they completely miss it. Like you see a moment where like Jesus feeds 5,000 people and then they, they get into a boat and then they ask Jesus who he is. And you just think you've seen it with your own eyes, like you know who he is. Anyway, this is, we're talking like four gospels, like the, the disciples have journeyed with Jesus. They've known him intimately, they've seen his face, they've touched his hands, they've, they've lived with him. And at the very last moment of Jesus' life on earth, Jesus is saying, okay, look, uh, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive the Spirit of God and it's going to be your power. And the disciples are like, ooh, amazing. When are you going to restore Israel? And Jesus is like, again, you've missed it again. And it's like, wrong question. Like, God promised that he's going to restore Israel. It's not for you to know. Jesus kind of like snaps them out of this moment. He's like, hey, hey, it's not for you to know. God is sovereign. He will do his thing. Just leave him to him. But now you've got some stuff I want you to do. It's like telling someone to stop being distracted and focus on what they're doing. I remember growing up when I would be sitting at the kitchen table doing homework and I would just want to procrastinate and I'd just start asking random questions about random things like, uh, Mom, why, why have we got a white front door or whatever? And Mom would always say to me, don't worry about the door, just focus on your homework. Don't, don't worry about why that, just, just focus on your homework. This is one of those moments where Jesus is saying to the disciples, don't worry, don't worry about the end times. Don't worry about what God will or won't do. You've got some stuff I want you to do. Uh, you've got some obedient stuff that I want you to do. So Jesus says to them, like, hold up. You've got some work to do. And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What's interesting about this passage when Jesus says this is he says, you will be my witnesses. Ultimately, he draws this picture. Imagine like, um, like the, the radius getting bigger and bigger to, to the disciples. Jesus basically was like saying, you're going to be witnesses locally, regionally, nationally, globally. He was just like zooming out. You're going to be my witnesses. And uh, this idea of being a witness, interestingly, Jesus did not use this as a command. So we read this in the English and we go, okay, Jesus was saying to him, you are going to be my witnesses. This is what I want you to do. But actually, if you go back into the original language that this was written in, that is not the way they say it. The way Jesus is saying it, it's like this future tense fact of saying, this is who you are. This is who I've made you to be. This is what following me looks like. You will be my witnesses. 
Now, the word witness in the Bible, we need to understand this. It does not mean to just see something and to be able to recall it. So when, when Luke is writing this and Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, it does not just mean they will literally watch Jesus raised from the dead and they will be able to recall it. It's not just simply understanding and relaying something. The biblical understanding of the word witness is to embody something or is to be an example of, is to experience and then be a demonstrator, is to experience and then be the example of. But then if you think about it, think about like a car accident on a road. When uh, they put the sign out, says, has there been any witnesses to this accident? What's interesting is, say if it goes to court or something, if a witness comes forward, the interesting thing about a witness is you tend to move from like verb to noun. So you witness something and then you become a witness. So when, when someone goes to, to court to say they've witnessed a car accident, the interesting thing is when they are in that court, the word of the witness is almost as reliable, if not as reliable as the accident as it happened in this moment. So in some ways, the witness doesn't just talk about, it actually becomes the evidence of the thing that was experienced or seen. So in the biblical sense, Jesus is not saying you will be people that just see me. It is you will be people that have experienced and will embody the very resurrection that I undertook. You will be examples of that to the world. It mean, he's saying you will become that resurrection power. You will become that transformational power. You will be my examples, my demonstration to the world. See, when we understand the way this was written, it changes our understanding of it. It changes what this actually means for us. So Jesus is saying, it's over to you. Now, he's not just like, I'm out, have a good life. He's saying, it's over to you. This is your era now. This is your time. I'm going to do something different. We call this the externalization of God when God doesn't exist in some little box anymore, like it was in the New Testament in the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Spirit of God is released for every single person to have intimate, personal relationship with God. It is over to you to be examples of who I am. But interesting enough, he says you will receive the Holy Spirit and that will be your power. See, so many of us want to be examples and, and live our lives and show people just how amazing God is or what God has done in our lives, but so often we miss out on the power because we can't do this on our own. I don't know about you, but life can be difficult. Things can be complicated, but God is not saying we have to do on our own. He hasn't just like flicked the first domino of creation. Oh, it's gone a little bit. It's gone a little bit bad. Jesus steps in, fixes some stuff back out again. Life just carries on. That is not God. The God we read about, the God who defines himself in the Bible is a God who is involved in our everyday, involved in the little bits, involved in the, the, the decisions we have to make, involved in the pain. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, which is God at work in us. So he offers us his power. So that's what Christian essentially just means. It is we are little Christs, or we are like Christs. To be a Jesus follower is to, like the idea of the witness, is to become that which we have experienced. 
So if we were to pull a principle out of this to understand in our own lives, it would be this. You can only be a witness of that which you've actually witnessed. You can only be a witness of that which you have actually witnessed. See, I know so many people who set out to live a really good life. You know those people who are really kind? They, they feel like it's all about doing good to people. And hopefully somewhere along the line, the universe or karma or something will repay me for good if I put that out. But that all falls down the second something bad happens because it's like, oh, what, what can I do now? But the thing is, that is life. So many set out to live a peaceful life, a joyful life, a life of purpose, a life of fulfillment. And they go to success or money or they go to relationships or they go to whatever it might be as the source, as the thing that they will emulate, the thing that they will embody. But the book of Acts shows us that we actually will become, we can embody, we can be examples of goodness once we have encountered goodness. So if you're sat here this morning thinking, yeah, this is all fair enough and like my life being a demonstration, but Dan, you don't really know my life. You don't know how complicated things are. You don't know how confusing things are. In fact, you, you, you don't know the pain and the mess that my life is. My life is not a demonstration to anyone of the goodness of God. But that's the beauty of our faith. That is the beauty of our God. Is that if you look at yourself for the source, I need to have this face on so everyone thinks I'm good. I need to, I need to put like God's best out there. The more we try and push stuff out there, the more desperate and messed up we look. But it's the second we let go and we lean into God's beauty. We lean into God's goodness. We lean into God's wholeness. That our lives begin to transform. Our lives begin to be become shaped by him and molded by him. See, I think this is really important. God wants to use you and me my life, your life, as an example of his character. And the mechanism he has chosen is the church. See, we have a purpose. The people all around you need this example of Jesus in, in their life. So let's look at this. There's some ways that the Bible talks about us being a witnesses or an embodiment of God's character. And the first one is this, witnesses of his resurrection. We see this in the book of Acts. At the end of the first chapter, we see they're looking for a new disciple. And one of the, the terms they use is it has to be someone who's witnessed his resurrection. Now, in the context, they were saying someone has actually physically got to have witnessed his resurrection. But we as Christians today, as people, can be witnesses as in we can encounter God's resurrection, Jesus' resurrection. And we can be witnesses of it, examples of it. Listen to this. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, it says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift from God. And it is not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Your life should be a trophy of grace. People should look at your life and be like, God can use a person like that. God can use a person that doesn't have it all together. God can, can turn someone from brokenness to wholeness. God can turn someone who is, is living a life of despair to living a life of hope. 
people should be able to look at our lives and be like, why do they have so much joy? Why do they have so much fulfillment? Why do they have make it look like everything is together? What is it about you? Our lives should be a witness of the resurrecting power of Jesus. I wonder what it is we're showing people. That God can use anyone, no matter who you are, no matter what experience you've had, no matter how messed up you feel, your life can be a trophy of his resurrection power. That's crazy. See, God wants to use your brokenness and your insufficiencies as a platform for his grace. Think about that. God wants to use your mess as a platform for his glory. That means he can redeem whatever it is you're facing right now. You might be facing some real difficult stuff. I don't have to get through this. I'm not really sure I'm prepared for this. I never thought my life would be in this spot. Well, God is the great redeemer who wants to redeem your mess and your brokenness. Your life should be proof of the resurrection of Jesus. Because of the change and the, and the freedom that we've experienced. What is it we are showing people? So witnesses of his resurrection. We can all be witnesses of his power and his presence. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10 says this. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Listen to what he says. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. How many of us know life can be painful? In fact, it is not a secret that life will be hard. You will face things that you never thought you would face. You will face, you will face crisis. You will face breakdown. You will face real dark pain. Because that is just the experience of humanity. The way you handle your life, the response to the things that you can't control should scream of the provision of our God. Because this is the thing. This is not a challenge to say, like, why are you not showing people this? I'm not saying that. This is an encouragement to say that when you face despair, God offers you hope because he wants to use you as his example. So this is like God gets to use your life. And you get the benefits of his hope and his peace and his grace. Whatever it is you're facing, think about it. There is hope. There is always hope. God will use you in ways and take you to places that you could not get to on your own. He wants to use you of, as a trophy of his power. Sometimes we just need to let him in. Because sometimes we like to deal with our brokenness and deal with our pain on our own. I got this. I can figure this out. God, I, 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 appreciate, I appreciate this, but I think I've got this one on my own. I'll come to you when I'm all good. I'll come to you when I'm ready. But God sat there saying, hey, just let me in because I've got some freedom for you. And the world will see this transforming power in you if you just let me in. And maybe some of you this morning are in that place where you just need to let him in. God, I can't do this anymore. I'm tired trying to figure this out on my own. So we can be witnesses of his power and presence. Finally, we can be witnesses of his love. This whole thing is a rescue mission fueled by God's love. John 13, 34, Jesus says this to his disciples, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, 
so you must love one another. Listen to this. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the thing is about Christianity is we can so often say the right words. We can do the right things. We can go through the right motions. But we can often neglect the importance of one of the most important overflows of our faith. And that is this, how we treat one another. How we treat people. Listen to this. It is impossible to truly love God and not love others. It is impossible to truly love God and not love others. Some of you might think, ah, is it? I've got some annoying people at my workplace. Are you sure? I feel like a good Christian. It is impossible for us to be transformed by the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, and turn around and show no forgiveness or compassion or grace to those around us. The way you love those around you is the ultimate expression of your faith. In fact, the way you treat others around you tells me more about your faith than all the scripture you might know, all the experience you might have, all of the things that you've been good at in your life. The way you treat others is a fundamental expression of your relationship and intimacy with God. We love others, not because it's just a kind thing to do, but because God loves us first. It is an overflow. We love others because God loved us. The band comes in if I want to finish in just a second. So the disciples in this passage in Acts 1, they're, they're kind of getting it straight. They, they speak to Jesus. He says this really profound thing. You're going to be my examples, my, my demonstration to the world. You're going to be my trophies of grace. And we see these are the seeds of what will become the church when we look at Acts 2 next week. But he says, you're going to be my examples. The end of the age. Throughout the ages, you will be my people, my examples. And then the disciples, it says in uh, Acts 1.10, that they were all stood there after Jesus ascends to heaven. And this is important, by the way, the fact that Jesus ascends to heaven because it shows he wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a social changer or, or a political figure or a rabbi. It shows us that he was God. He is God. But the disciples are all stood there. You imagine them rolling in a circle. Jesus says, you guys are the seeds of the church. You're going to be my examples to the end of the age. And then the father takes them. And the disciples are all like stood, just like looking at this guy. <laughs> and like that moment where you hear those words, did those are for you? And the disciples are like, ready i'm not ready for that yet i i don't i don't think we i've quite got it together yet god i don't know if i can do that is it over for you and then i love this it says some some men in white or in other words some angels stood beside him and said men of galilee listen why are you stood looking at this guy why are you stood waiting for god to take back that which he has given you why are you waiting for god to take the responsibility that he put on you why are you waiting for God to do the thing that he gifted you to do why are you waiting on God to do what he's asked you to do <laughs> and then they reassure him Jesus is coming back you'll see him again but you've got work to do 
there's something, there's this new age, there's this new move of the plan of God, there's this new season he's calling the, the, the disciples into, this, this new era of the church. And that's the era we exist in today. It's the era of God's church. See, the, the church is not just some social club for like-minded people. It is not just a gathering for fun. It is not just Christian karaoke. This is the church of God because this is God's mechanism for the redemption of humanity. This is part of God's plan. Why I encourage you to come to church is not because I need more people sitting on seats. It is because when you are part of God's plan, God's mechanism, you begin to understand the will of God for your life. You begin to see people around you differently. You begin to encounter God in a different way because why? This is the model, the mechanism that God has set up to redeem his creation back to himself. This is significant. This is the church. So it's over to you. It's over to you and I. There is a purpose for you and me. This is not just a gathering you come to. This is a place that we get filled up, encouraged, inspired by one another, inspired by the word of God. And then we get sent out into our communities, into our families, into our workplaces to be witnesses, embodiment of the resurrection power of Jesus. That is the church. That is what Acts 1 is all about. That is the foundation of the book of Acts is the Spirit of God is doing something new. And I believe that He's still at work today. And He's got a purpose for you. So if you'd like to stand. I want to encourage you today. Maybe maybe you find yourself in that place where you're just like, I, I don't know if my life represents that right now. I don't know if I can be that example and you're just maybe trying to put up the front or whatever it might be but today I just want us as a church to just humble ourselves and say God fill me with your resurrection power let me be a witness to those around me of just what you have done in my life so with every head bowed and eyes closed I want to pray for every single person here no matter if you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not Father God, I want to thank you for your church. God, I thank you that you are present when we are here. That this is not just a gathering or a social club or it's not just something fun to fill our Sundays with. But God, this is your church. And God, I thank you for the honor that it is we get to be part of it right here and right now. As we join with those who have gone for 2,000 years before us and have carried the witness of your resurrection. God, let us be people that live our lives to show people you. Not to show people religion or to show people uh, like a person that goes through the motions of Christianity, but a life transformed, a future found, a life redeemed. God, I pray right now you would fill us up with so much purpose and vision because you are not done with this church. You are not done with us, no matter who we are. God, I pray right now for those who have stood wondering their part in this. Me. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know. I'm just getting, I'm, I'm still understanding what this means. Holy Spirit, would you speak so clearly right now? Power of God, would you just 
show people with boldness to live the life you've called them to live, to be the example you've called them to be. God, I thank you that nothing can stop the truth. Not because of bravado or marketing or anything, but it is the spirit of the God, I pray for things beyond our wildest dreams. I pray for a tangible sense of your spirit in the homes of every single person here. God, we thank you for your truth. Speak to us now as we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.